0: So, Lisa, did you know that there is a long-standing history of New Year's resolutions? I mean, I'm not talking about a couple centuries here. I'm talking about 4,000 years of history when it comes to New Year's resolutions. And I cannot say that I have been uh, the model of people that keep New New Year's resolutions. I've given up on them. (laughs) I've just given up over the last couple of years. Yeah, I I have also given up. Uh, over the last
1: couple of years, but I am surprised to hear that it's 4,000 years old because I just assumed it was a creation of capitalism. (laughs) So um, apparently not, or at least not the modern kind of industrial capitalism. So I am Mm -mm. curious to hear more
0: about that. Absolutely. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns.
1: And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingerfield, and I go by she, her, hers.
0: Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance.
1: Okay, so I do love history and I think there's a lot to learn. So I really want to hear some uh-huh. context. So what, what do you know? What is your new knowledge on uh, New Year's
0: resolutions? Right, right. I've got a ton of new knowledge on this because I was looking around just thinking about New Year's resolutions, what's the science behind it? And more so, frankly, I wasn't even looking for New Year's resolutions. I was looking for what's what's another solution? What's another alternative than of New Year's resolution? Because I suck so mad when it comes to them. Um, but when I started to look up the information, it was a lot of information on the history the history of New Year's resolutions and how they started, what, 4,000 years ago in ancient Babylon. And it was a 12 day celebration, you know? And so I'm with you. I thought it was gonna be like, you know, something having to do with capitalism, et cetera, but actually it was about planting crops. And so during that time, ancient Babylonians wanted their crops to flourish. And so they made all these promises promises to the gods that they worshiped, that they would pay their debts and return anything that they'd borrowed, borrowed items and so forth. And their belief was if they truly kept their word to these promises, then the gods would look favorably upon them over the next year, their crops would grow, but the converts could also happen. If Babylonians broke their promises, then they would fall kind of in the the bad graces of their gods. And so I thought that was really interesting. And so this is all pre-Julius Caesar. I mean, pre-January 1st, actually, which I thought was pretty cool. So we previously had a conversation of how uh, American uh, the calendar is in particular, but this is kind of a tradition or at least a belief system that happened even before the calendar that we know of today. So that's what really kind of shook me. I'm like, oh my goodness, no wonder this is so ingrained because we've been doing it for 4,000 years now.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of it's shifted some right? Because there's still the personal commitment, but um, it's not necessarily tied to if I do this good thing, then prosperity. Um, will, you know, come my way because the gods mm-hmm. will see me favorably. Like you don't hear people mm-hmm. um, saying, I really need to lose weight because that's going to make, you know, Zeus or whomever mm-hmm. happy. Right. 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 Like mm-hmm. it, that, that kind of external connection is, seems to completely have evaporated.
0: Absolutely. And so you're exactly right. It's, folks are making a promise to themselves. And what's interesting is that we're not keeping our promises to ourselves either. So um, when we looked at the numbers, y'all know, Lisa and I love to look at the data and what I found, even when it came to new year's resolutions today, the modern version of this is that about 40% of people in the United States set new year's resolutions. Um, In case we have some listeners in the UK, about 22% of folks in the UK set resolutions. However, 80% of those who set resolutions usually break them by the first week of February. And those that persist, it's only about 8% that are successful wow. at all. 8%. So to me, I'm like, okay, this is really interesting because you're right. We went from this external focus of we want these benefits to this out uh, this, uh, internal focus of, I want this for my Myself, And we're breaking our own promises to ourselves. And so I'm thinking to myself, this is kind of interesting because I hear a lot of people translate this into our DEI world where they want to commit to doing something or, you know, they're trying to make this commitment and sometimes they don't articulate it outwardly. Maybe they just say it to themselves. I need to read more. I need to learn more about this or do that. And I'm wondering, you know, what can we do to help Mm -hmm. there be more than the quote unquote 8% of people reaching their DEI goals? You know, whatever that proverbial 8% is, we've, I think we've got some work to do here.
1: Yeah. And actually 40% of people making resolutions seems low to me, but the 80, 80% was it you said that didn't, um. Yes. Follow through. Yeah. That's not surprising to me, um, but right, I actually right. thought we'd be closer to like sixty or seventy percent of people who make some kind of resolution. Um, you know, and it's interesting, right? Because the DEI perspective, if we're thinking about New Year's resolutions in that context, that is actually that can be an internal thing, right? Because it could fall into white savior. It could fall into being self satisfied. But there's, there is also an external connection there, right? Whether that's reputational mm-hmm. or whether that is honestly because you want, you know, the world to be a better place, not meaning to be kind of trite there, but that sort of perspective. So it's an interesting way how perhaps um, we could have an opportunity to reframe resolutions towards community versus ourselves mm-hmm. when we're thinking about DEI and if mm-hmm. folks are pondering The possibilities of what might that look like in a manageable um, way so that you don't get to the first week of February and want to curl up under a table because you're so depressed and um,
0: frustrated and hopeless about the state of the world, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing we're trying to give people hope for what can they be successful in, um, even if it's in these bite sized pieces. Right. And so um, one of my favorite words that I like to use in the DEI space is micro behavior, (laughs) not microwave, but micro behavior. So, you know, what's what's the smallest bit? What's the smallest, uh, smallest effective dose? I think uh, folks in the medical community say, what's the smallest thing? That could inch me toward being a better ally on a day to day basis. And, you know, I think for me, that is more helpful, whether it's for myself or whether it's for helping others, because the overwhelm that comes with how daunting all of DEI feels can make people literally shut down. Like, would you really? I, I think part of that is would you really tell someone, oh, just, I know you're getting up off the couch for the first time in years. I want you to go and do a 140.6 in two weeks. Like, I feel like that's what we do to people in DEI right. spaces. It's like, right. go, get up off the couch. You haven't walked to the mailbox in weeks. Just get up and go run a marathon. It's like, no, nah, that's not how this works. And so, you know, given that, I think there's these micro- behaviors, micro allyship behaviors, that we kind of need to figure out a little loop or a system stepwise process um, for people to feel like allyship is more palatable. So it's mm. not so overwhelming It because it, it does feel, I mean, even for those of us that do this to make our living, it can feel overwhelming if you don't break things down.
1: Right. And not claiming the title of ally without actually doing anything either. Right. Because then that's disingenuous. Um, There is this Mm -hmm. tension, though, as you're talking, I'm thinking about it that white people, in particular, men, um, straight people who, you know, kind of rest on their laurels a little bit with this is really hard. I'm just going to inch towards it. When in some cases, there is a greater need for urgency. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I Mm -hmm. think there's a, there's a balance and I don't have a good answer for what that balance might be, but I would just caution folks to um, don't, you know, move slowly because you want to digest and you want to grow, but don't move so slowly that, you know, the change is like unnoticeable.
0: <laughs> right. There you go. It, <laughs> it, rem- it reminds me of that sloth on that um that movie where it's like, everyone's waiting for them to inch and they're just sitting there. It's like, No, you got to be in motion here. You got to be in motion. Um, But you're right, though. It's that um, overwhelm can become a defense mechanism for some. Um, And what I find so interesting when it comes to allyship is that I'd rather hear I'm overwhelmed, quote unquote, I'm overwhelmed from somebody that's actively doing work versus someone that's kind of sitting in the driveway thinking, am I going to do this work? Because those forms of overwhelm can be two different things. One can be a defense mechanism. Other one can be legit. I'm tired because I have, (laughs) I have receipts of how much I've tried to do both internal work or external work. Um, But hearing overwhelm from, you're right, from folks that haven't done anything yet. I'm like, "Mm, okay, Mm -hmm. let's, let's consider where that resistance is coming from. Is that fragility? Is that fear? Is it what? Where, where is that coming from?
1: Yeah. So I think your point about these micro behaviors or micro habits, right? Isn't it something like it takes six mm-hmm. weeks for some new behavior, activity, or something right. to become a habit? Right. And, right. Um, right. I think if you're looking at DEI mm-hmm. as a New Year's resolution possibility, right? Then what are mm-hmm. those little things, Shauna, that you would recommend that folks could start mm-hmm. to do? to make habitual, right. So that they're yeah, tangible yeah. and easy enough that that can be integrated into a person's life without them feeling overwhelmed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that That's a great question. And I've, I've been trying to, uh, read more and get more motivation and ideas from other books as well. And one of the books I recently, uh, ordered, and I've read the first chapter so far, but I plan to read a little bit more. Um, but it's called how to be an ally actions you can take for a stronger, happier workplace, actually. And it's written by Melinda Brianna Epler. And so far it is very engaging and practical because, you know, I I sit in theory a lot and, and practice is where things really happen. And one of the chapters of her book, her book, in fact, the very first chapter, the first step out of, I think, seven steps uh, that she suggests when it comes to allyship is when it comes to framing this work, it's a learn, unlearn, relearn process. And that could be about any identity group. It could be about any concept, but you have to put in your brain something new in order to replace what may not be accurate or at least not complete. And that is a process Mm -hmm. of relearning. Mm -hmm. And so she goes through this and I just really loved that. It, It seems very simple, you know, when it comes to learn, unlearn, relearn. So for example, you know, let's say, Um, James Lowen, uh, a lot of us have read his book, Lies My Teacher Told Me, which is quintessentially the way in which many of us who learned United States history in the United States, it debunks all of that to say, I know this is what you learned. Much of this is either incorrect or incomplete. So lies my teacher told me help you to learn, unlearn, relearn, and kind of replace what you thought you knew, right? And so that's one of my best examples of how I've experienced it in the past. And I think people should do the very same thing. You know, I suggest, and you don't have to be a PhD to do do this, but I think people really need to be more critical about what they learn, what they have learned in the past, who they learned it from, what lens is being used to tell that story, all of that we need to be a little more critical about. So um, I do think a lot of learning, unlearning, relearning has to happen. I think that can happen with books. I, you know, we, we get our information from a lot of different uh, media, right, Lisa? So, right, you know, right. I, I think it can happen in a lot of different ways, but I loved how Epler kind of framed that learn, unlearn, relearn process because it's cyclical. You can just do it forever.
1: Yeah. And I think that it could be like something that happens simultaneously, or there could be it could feel more clunky than that. Right. And so um, I'm just trying to think of an example, but you know, when you learn a new thing that challenges the status quo um, you are kind of unlearning the status quo at the same time and replacing it with that new information, like you said, but if the, the learning right. of the new thing um, it's very troubling to you, right? I don't know that there's an immediate integration um, where you Mm -hmm. unlearn the other things. So it's almost like the the old um, uh, faulty information sits side by side with the new um, accurate information for a period of time, right? Before you're then able to discard the faulty information and completely replace it with the new information. And I think that labor perhaps um, between the learning and the unlearning where those two realities are sitting next to each other is what feels tiring, emotionally challenging, mm. and perhaps where you might drop out of the process, right? Um, and might throw that yes. resolution out the window because it's too yeah. much.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's too much. And you're right. It's It kind of reminds me of... <laughs> it's almost like rewiring your brain you know how when you're in a word document and you have the document and you thought it was perfect and then you're going back through and now it's strikeouts and redlining and comments here and so forth I feel like anybody that's doing this type of DEI work your brain will end up functioning in that way where you have this you know running document of information that you thought was truth capital t truth and then you find that it's either inaccurate or incomplete. And so you're literally going through this lived process of editing and replacing um, or completely throwing out documents that aren't true and how that's going to be kind of off-putting you know, it's going to be off-putting. It's going to be frustrating. It's, you're going to feel your own resistance around it. Let's put it that way. You're going to feel your own resistance. And I know we talked about in a pre a previous podcast, uh, the book lean in, but this is literally a time where you may need to lean into your own resistance about having to learn, unlearn and relearn information. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, what we would suggest is that, you know, as a new year's resolution, Choosing some area that you want to do that, learn, unlearn, and relearn mm. versus just yeah. kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion broadly—that's going to probably push Absolutely. you into that second week of February and, a, and an abandonment of your resolution. But maybe you, <laughs> you choose um, one topic that is of interest to you, right? Like. Um, And you just explore that because I am such a believer that there's connections, right? So even if you're listening, like I was listening to a podcast this morning about how one defines Latin music, like, and the difference of opinion Mm. between kind of um, uh, musicologists, is that that the word? And folks who kind of study it around which music type would fall under Latin and how Latin is both a um, flattener of difference among, um, different genres of Latin Mm -hmm. music, but has also been a really Mm -hmm. important marker and identifier to bring, um, kind of Latin music into the mainstream. Right. And so, you know, and I'm, so I'm thinking, yes, it's music. It's, um, not not something that is immediately connected to sport but i do think about how can i take the lesson from this podcast on music Mm -hmm. and categorization and language and how could i apply that in my sport context and that's not something i've necessarily like just just clicks but i think that there's opportunity everywhere if
0: you're willing to see those opportunities Mm -hmm. right Hmm. Yeah. There's opportunity everywhere, you know. And I think you know, there's so many different things that we can do as micro behaviors. You know, I'm I'm a big fan. I know a lot of people in the past have talked about reading groups and so forth. And there's even this wonderful article. I'll have to link it in the show notes around um, not pulling together reading groups because they have not seemed to be helpful, they end up being patronizing, where you have the privilege of sitting around reading about someone's lived experience while that lived experience is death or harm. And so what can we do as far as some of those micro allyship behaviors? I think, yes, we need to do more than the superficial, but don't bite off more than we can chew with it. So what are some of those small things that you would lean into on a day-to-day basis that you wouldn't before? So maybe you've been listening to your favorite podcast every day on that commute to work. Maybe now let's switch it up where we're listening to a podcast about something or someone's identity group that we know nothing about. That's a micro behavior because you're doing the same thing in a different yeah, way, Yeah. right? And um, Or, you know, who's in your network exactly? Are you continuing to call the same people? Or do you have this acquaintance that could develop more into collegiality or friendship? And it's someone of a different identity group that you could learn from, and it could be mutually beneficial. There's just so many small things. And I I remember this podcast, ironically, um, this podcast that I was listening to that talked specifically about, it was something about productivity, but it talked about habits and how we should be habit stacking rather than trying to overhaul our lives, right? So let's say I'm trying to do a better job at uh, taking a multivitamin, for example. Well, I already have a good steady habit of brushing my teeth every morning when I wake up. So the habit stack is brush your teeth like you usually do and put your multivitamin right beside your toothbrush so you do them both at the same time. So you're stacking a new habit on a consistent one. And I'm wondering if that could be a way to do this too, where there may be a habit that you already have. You Mm. you go on that run or you hit the gym every morning. That's great. And you, you know, like me, you're playing your aggressive music because you need your aggressive music. Um, But what about during your cool down, you're listening to something informative or you're listening to that NPR about Latin music or whatever it is. I just think that there's a, possibly a way to stack new yeah. habits on old ones.
1: I absolutely love that suggestion, habit stacking, because I'm also wondering, is that part of the reason why people's resolutions flop, right? Because they're trying to oh. introduce this big new thing into their life that doesn't attach itself to anything mm-hmm. that they already have that's habitual. And so, you know, if you don't exercise and then you're putting exercise, I want to exercise. It's not a very precise goal anyway, right? But, right, right, um, right that you're not attaching it to something, right? So exactly,
0: exactly. I think that's
1: pretty amazing beyond what we're talking about, but with the, if you want to do more in DEI, you want to learn, unlearn and relearn, then one way to kind of keep motivated around that in 2022 is to habit stack. That's such a great Mm -hmm. idea.
0: Yeah. I just, it just came to my mind how, you know, there are certain things that any, even the Even someone who is mostly inconsistent with everything, (laughs) you still have one thing that you do every day. I don't care if it's something as small as you have to put your glasses on your face, but that small thing ends up being a big thing. So yeah, we might be able to use habit stacking as a way to uh, (laughs) not necessarily make a resolution because the converse of what I've heard as far as a replacement for resolutions is system building. So whatever your system is, whether your system is habit stacking or your system is an accountability part, whatever your system is. And so, you know, I think micro allyship behavior can happen as long as we attach it to something that's already stable in our lives. So what Um, about
1: if I have like a monthly lunch with a friend or we have this thing on the calendar that we've been doing um, mm -hmm. so that we make sure that we stay in touch with each other, I could integrate a conversation about something that's happening in the news or something that I've read Mm -hmm. that's diversity and inclusion related.
0: And just add it into Mm -hmm. that
1: coffee or lunch conversation.
0: Right, exactly. Something that you're already doing and you're just adding that into the mix. So, you know, I think that's fantastic. And we've seen it happen, you know, in workplaces, for example, where um, I've seen departments where they send out this, you know, monthly newsletter and they've been sending out the monthly newsletter for years, but now they're adding a link to a really cool five-minute Atlantic read on something in regards to diversity. They're doing what they've been doing forever, but they're making these small micro changes that stick right, um, right. without over committing them. And now those little links that they were placing in the newsletter have now become those quote unquote water cooler conversations where people are talking, oh, Lisa, that article you attached was really cool the other day. I thought about it while I was talking to my spouse or whatever. Um, it's, I, I think there's something to linking some type of system to maintaining this Cycle of learn, unlearn relearn.
1: yeah, and i'm I'm even thinking like, you know you could do this in your sporting activities, right? in your um, training or your coaching or your races, you could mm-hmm. think about this year, I want to yeah. do X in my um, race communication. I am going to yes. add to every race communication a fact mm-hmm. or an article or something that is DEI slash sport related, and that's going to go out to my three hundred participants. And maybe they click right. on it, maybe they don't, right? But right. that's, that's right. an action that I'm going to take because it mm-hmm. also establishes to kind of onlookers that this is something you're thinking about, right? And exactly. that's exactly also a good that's thing. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's um, it's kind of again, these are very small things. Like let's say, Lisa, we are going to uh, do our ride in a certain area of the state. And we already know that that is designated Seminole land, for example. And we want to mention that in our tri-club email. Hey, just want to give you all a heads up that we're going to be um, riding around Kent Island and this is Seminole land, for example. I know that's incorrect, y'all, but I'm giving an example. Um, That's something, again, you're already doing. Every weekend you announce where your ride is going to be, but now you're giving detail Mm -hmm, on where your mm -hmm. ride is going to be, right? Because you're providing that this is native indigenous land. So, you know, they're, they're just small things that I really, um, I I really want to help people and help myself to not feel overwhelmed while continuing the work. Um, it truly is putting, you know, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, when it comes to this, rather than, um, Mm -hmm we're not suggesting Lisa, like us to inhale a 400 page book on the topic. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just don't. It's, you can get discouraged real quick. (laughs) But even with that, if you read, you know, two pages, that's, that's a micro behavior, right? Yeah. Um, So I I think there's something to these uh, micro behaviors getting us through the new year because Mm -hmm. We're in 2022. Now we want to do better than we've done in past years. If You're still hanging on and listening to this podcast, you know, 60 plus episodes in we know that you're uh, probably in for the long haul. So I think this is how we keep people uh, in the work with with less fatigue and more uh, excitement about the work that we do.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, if you are an avid listener, then, you know, you could, you could have it stack. If you are listening to us, you know, you could just add another podcast on a similar topic or something different. um, And, you know, roll that into your podcast listening and you know, I mm-hmm. have to put a plug in here for another podcast, which I know is ridiculous because we are a podcast, but right, <laughs> right, right, right. I want to share the love, and I've like harassed Shauna to listen to this podcast. It's called This Land, and I can't remember if I've mentioned it on this one before, but it's about um, Native and Indigenous issues, right? And it talks a lot about the land. So your comments, Shauna, about your the bike rides, which I also think is a fantastic idea. I mean, how easy would that be to do yeah, that? Yeah. Um, and then. It was for me. I, I have very little knowledge and information around um, native and indigenous practices and the ways in which um, mm-hmm. us, you know colonial settlers from the UK and the rest of Europe. Um, you know, treated and behaved towards Native and Indigenous folks. I mean, I have the big kind of like 30,000 foot understanding of it, but this podcast takes like a particular case in its two seasons, each one, and it dissects it. And it's fascinating and it made me so angry. But I learned a ton of things, right? And I just folded that podcast into my dog walking or my running, um, because that's what I usually listen to. And so I think I'm going to continue that wow, commitment. That's cool. Next year to read from more indigenous authors and listen to some additional podcasts and just kind of like fold those new um, resolutions into stuff that I'm already doing so then it doesn't Mm -hmm. I don't kind of taper off and forget that I made that
0: promise. Right. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Well, for me, I've been a avid podcast listener for a long while, and now I've been uh, moving into more audible books. Uh, so listening to books a bit more because my eyesight is fading on me a little bit. And frankly, I have other things to be doing. (laughs) And so I can do other things while listening to, to books themselves. And so I'm super excited to just continue on that journey of, uh, I think there's a special word for people who buy a lot of books and then they don't read them. And that's probably me. I pull from them like reference books. Uh, but now with uh, Audible, I can actually read them from cover to cover, take note, listen while I'm doing other things. So mm-hmm. uh, that's my micro habit that I've already started practicing with a couple books. And I'm going to continue moving forward with that in 2022. But yeah, this can be done, people. This
1: can be done. It can be done. But um, what I think I'm going to predict for you, Shauna, is what happened with me is that you listen to a book love it and then you buy the copy anyway <laughs> so then you have it twice because you know on the book book you can actually oh. write stuff on it
0: <laughs> oh we clearly have a problem like we would never we can never be librarians right because we wouldn't do any work we would just sit in corners reading all day mm-hmm. understood understood all right so let's jump into our hell yeah and our hell nah
1: hell yeah
0: hell no. Nah. So let me tell y'all about my hell yeah that I am very excited about. So I saw a commercial and I think partially because of the algorithms. Uh, so so I uh, took my sons uh, to Broadway the week before Christmas to take them to see Wicked. Um, I'd never been to Broadway before and they are 10 and seven. Obviously they had never been to Broadway either. And so my son had seen uh, seen Defying Gravity, the, the video of that on YouTube and said, oh my God, that's so cool. And I said, you realize that's a whole play, a Broadway play. And so took them to see the play the week leading up to Christmas. And what I noticed, the algorithm started to change on my iPhone in regards to what ads I was getting. And one of the ads that I got was around the casting of wicked for another feature that was going to be somewhere else and that feature actually featured a one of the witches that was in a wheelchair which I thought was so cool uh, because usually you see them depicted you know up in the sky and on a broom and so forth and they still did some of those elements but when they showed the actual poster of the play the Wicked Witch was actually in the wheelchair which I thought was so profound and I pointed it out to my son and he was really excited that anyone can do anything Um, so I I thought that was really interesting that it kind of uh, reframed our thoughts around who who plays and who plays a character and who doesn't. And what are folks considering when they're casting roles?
1: Mm -hmm. I just
0: thought that was very cool. Uh, My son wanted me to talk about it on the podcast. And so I said I would, but I thought that was just a really interesting twist, not an endurance sport, but definitely an eye opener in regards to how we uh, consider and value uh, the disabled community. So really cool.
1: Yes and um I didn't realize that she was playing the wicked witch because that's also interesting that you have the person who uses the wheelchair playing the wicked
0: witch mm-hmm, right but mm-hmm. you know which is I- why I love well no you're bringing up a great point though because I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole trying to see if There was another play of Wicked that also cast the Good Witch as someone in a wheelchair or some other disability. Still haven't found it yet, but yeah, I I thought similarly, Lisa. (laughs) Mm,
1: Yeah, so it's it's definitely a hell yeah with a with a little asterisk. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um. So okay. So hell no. I'm gonna like interrupt because I actually just saw a post from you, Shauna, and then went to the New York Times, and so. Mm podcast is going to air a few weeks from when we're recording it but it's it's kind of an odd hell now but it's more of a um uh what's the word i'm looking for like a moment of respect i guess Uh, bell hooks yes um phenomenal feminist scholar and author died today at 69 years old and for me um Bell Hooks was such an important piece of my learning and unlearning and relearning, um, particularly her book from margin to center, which was one of the very first books I read from her. And so I have uh, used her work over and over again in my life. Um, She had some really important things to say around violence against women too, in addition to racism and oppression broadly. So that is a hell nah in the sense that it's very mm-hmm. sad. I'm pretty I'm pretty shocked actually by that, and I probably
0: mm-hmm. shouldn't have been
1: looking while uh, Shauna was right. giving her hell. Yeah,
0: uh, right, hell right, right, right.
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: no that that's a huge one. That's a huge one, and you know I I was kind of uh, <laughs> it took my breath away when I heard uh, that. Gloria Jean Watkins, uh, Bell Hooks, uh, is no longer with us. And I I think what's really uh, important is, you know, also thinking about the people that she was influenced by. I know she was influenced by, especially those of us in the education world, Paolo Freire. She was definitely influenced by him. James Baldwin, Sojourner Truth, you know, a few people that she pulled from. And so I'm just really appreciative um, of her work. And, you know, I know that we read a lot of quotes by her, et cetera, but I think we need to commit ourselves that this might be some of the learn, unlearn, relearn, um, is to commit ourselves to some of her writing as well. Um, one of my favorite quotes by bell hooks talks about resistance. We, we talk about that a lot on this podcast, people that resist this work. Um, and she said something to the effect of uh, true resistance begins when people start confronting pain and then they want to change that pain whether it's internal, external, societal, et cetera. And so, you know, I mm-hmm. think Lisa, we uh, we do our best to uh, inch the world along to address pain through this podcast on a regular basis. So I'm actually glad you brought up uh, bell hooks and yeah, very heartbreaking because those of us in this industry um, w- we know that we're, we build our work upon giants and she's certainly one of those. So I'm really yeah. sad about her loss. Um and can recall when I first discovered her work as well. So mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. sad for Bell Hooks' uh, family, loved ones, and all of us who read and learned from her without her ever knowing who we are. So, grab a Bell Hooks book is what I would say to you
1: if you are unfamiliar. Absolutely, she beautifully, very accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's she's written prolifically. Um, Absolutely. so there's going to be something out there for you. So in honor of her and all the work she's done and the change that she's pushed, I would encourage our listeners to, um, download from audible or go buy at a local, um, small business woman of color owned bookstore, um, mm-hmm. a copy
0: of Abel hooks book. Or like Lisa and I do both. Yeah. The Unphased Podcast and all
1: things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash triathlon. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit.
0: Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford.
1: Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa.
0: I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.